Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ the King. (laughs) It's so good to be here. I just want to start out by saying um, how joyful it is to be received um, back here at Christ the King. There's so many uh, old and familiar faces, familiar faces, not old faces, familiar faces, Uh, but a lot of new faces as well. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan and Barbara are saying, yeah, yeah, there's some old... Um, So it's just a joy to be here. I can't tell you how um, much uh, my family and I have looked forward to worshiping here with you. Um, Well, I want to begin by just giving a little bit of a brief update because many of you have walked along this journey with us in church planting. And uh, we, our last visit was in March, so we were able to give a little bit of a uh, uh, update then. Um, So I just wanted to report that we are delighted that Mission St. James and our church planting efforts are continuing to be blessed by the Lord in Jackson, Tennessee. That's in West Tennessee, very flat, um, very different than Alabama in some ways. Um, But we're continuing to grow. Our weekly gatherings have grown to uh, about 64-ish people. Uh, We're meeting in a home right now on Sunday evenings for meal and Bible study right now. We're kind of going through Uh, some preparation for church planting, uh, preparing our launch team for that. Um, But we have moved into what we're calling our preview season, which is really exciting. So uh, September 18th, we held our first preview service. Um, We had uh, 82 people in attendance for that. So it was really exciting, very encouraging, uh, and we're really excited to share that with you. Our next preview service will be uh, on October 23rd which is uh, the Feast of St. James. So we're really excited uh, about that. Please be in prayer for, uh, for that. Um, I also want to just let you know, I have two asks for you this morning. The first ask is for you to consider coming and joining us. That's a big ask. It's a big ask. Um, but I, just as this morning, if you were sitting there thinking, I think the Lord's calling me to ministry, my family to ministry, Um, we have a ministry that you could be a part of uh, at Mission St. James. So prayerfully consider that. That's the bigger ask. The second ask, of course, is for money. Um, So we have uh, an operating budget projected for next year of $130,000. And after receiving support that we've already raised and support that we anticipate from our people, that leaves us with an additional $48,000 to raise. So as Father Michael mentioned, there's a a slip of paper in your bulletin uh, that gives you information about Mission St. James and how you can give. So please consider, prayerfully consider uh, giving. But once again, I want to thank you, Christ the King, for your generous support that you have already provided for us. And may the Lord continue to bless you in your generosity. All right, those are all the asks. Well, I come to you this morning from way up north, up there in West Tennessee. Well, when I was writing the sermon, I was checking the forecast, checking the forecast for today here in Birmingham, 
which called for 73 degrees today. I don't know if that's updated, but that's what it was the other day. So I had to adjust my wardrobe when I was packing for this because up there, up way up north, it's 71 degrees. <laughs> As you can see, it's much colder up north, which also means that all the leaves are starting to change and pumpkins magically appear on everyone's doorstep. We all bundle up in sweaters, even though we probably don't need to, and drink hot chocolate, even though it's still pretty warm. But we also go looking for pumpkin patches. And pumpkin patches, if you're lucky, also have corn mazes. I think corn mazes are a blast. There's always that sense when you enter into a corn maze that you'll never make it out alive. You advance down the main path, and you randomly select a turn, and then another turn, until you're thoroughly lost and you lose all hope of ever getting out. So you try to retrace your steps and make your way back to that main pathway, and you randomly select another path, and then you realize, this isn't good. So you wander around and around and around, until you hear the jubilee cries of those who have made it out, and you just kind of follow those cries until you also make it out, and then sit there and hope the kids find their way. <laughs> well, I'm no neuroscientist, but I'm told that our brains work a bit like corn mazes. There are all these neural pathways that light up as we think our way through life. And we're told that the thought patterns that we think are well-worn pathways through our brains. And the most painful experiences in life sort of wear and become those dominant pathways that our thoughts tend to roam down over and over and over again, which leads to anxiety and depression and even addiction. They say that the solution, of course, is to rewire your brain, to find ways of thinking positively. Why do I bring this up? Well, throughout my own life, I have also struggled with depression, anxiety, and addiction. And no matter how hard I've tried, I simply cannot rewire my own brain. And so I want to tell you about one evening that I had here in Homewood at the O. Henry's. I was sharing all of my frustrations and struggles with Father Daniel Logan, uh, who unfortunately is not here this morning. And he was a deacon at the time, and I was needing help. And so I cried out to Father Daniel, and he prayed for me right there in Homewood in the coffee shop. And that night, God answered his prayer. Now, it took me a few weeks to realize what had happened. But I eventually, I noticed that my thoughts were no longer going down those well-worn pathways. I simply didn't take a left where I used to take a left. Or if I did, I didn't take the next right. You see what I'm saying? So my struggles are still there but not as dominant. And it occurred to me that God 
had been healing my soul. Well, our gospel passage today is another story of Jesus healing someone, or ten someones. Luke's gospel reminds us that Jesus had turned toward Jerusalem, that is, toward his crucifixion, way back in chapter 9. And our passage this morning is the third and final mention of this turn toward Jerusalem. And his journey has brought him to a village that is between Samaria and Galilee, that is, between Jew and Gentile land. And he encounters these ten lepers. So here in the space between a people who were faithful, the Jews, and those who had departed from true worship, the Samaritans, Jesus finds the lowly and the poor. In the gospel texts over the last few Sundays, Jesus has been confronting the Pharisees, those faithful Jews who are just not getting it. The Messiah was on the scene and demonstrating the inbreaking of the kingdom of God with healings and deliverances left and right. And the message has been that good theology only gets you so far. It's faith in the Messiah that is necessary for eternal life. And our passage this morning is not merely another healing story of Jesus, but a healing story with a greater lesson in it, which is this. We really aren't made well until we return to Jesus and fall on our faces with gratitude. The ten lepers cry out to Jesus from a distance in verse 13. Now, it's interesting to note that they do not ask to be healed, if you notice that in the reading. They simply cry out for mercy. Now, you may already know that lepers in the ancient world were the lowliest of the low. If you were a leper in the first century, you were seen as cursed by God, and you were kept at a distance. So to show mercy to a leper was to give them the very thing that God was withholding from them. Now, it's hard for us to imagine treating lepers today as they were treated then, but I want us to spend a moment thinking about the plight of these ten lepers. I want to share with you a little news story from our local newspaper, the Jackson Sun, up there, way up north in West Tennessee. They reported that the Tennessee Juvenile Detention centers are at max capacity, which is causing a great distress not only among the already traumatized juveniles that are there, but also the juvenile workers. And the paper quoted the Tennessee DS, DCS director uh, as she was pleading with lawmakers. She said this, I've got a traumatized workforce, a traumatized group of kids, and we need to expedite the answers to these questions as quickly as we can. The kids they are serving are coming from already traumatizing situations, which is perpetuating more trauma. In other words, these kids are, these are the kids that are being kept at a distance 
And whatever their physical needs are, their healing, they need a healing at a much greater level than just their physical needs. So let's put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals of these lepers. First of all, trauma is a hot topic today, and I have serious concerns with how it functions in our current culture. But I only bring it up because, one, trauma is real. It's a real thing. And two, trauma results in unhealthy neural pathways, right? It gets us into these ruts to where there's only one way of thinking about life and interpreting our circumstances. So like the children in the Tennessee DCS system, these lepers have serious physical problems, right? Leprosy. They need to be addressed. But think about all of the other problems that come with that. Perhaps a lifetime of dealing with leprosy. So even if they're healed of their leprosy, there's a great aftermath, a great need for healing that will continue. So just imagine, for example, the damage that no self-worth causes while you're dealing with leprosy. That's just the beginning. That doesn't go away after Jesus heals your disease, which he does in verse 14. His injunction to show themselves to the priests is interesting. Now, that was a requirement of the law, of course, so it's not surprising that Jesus would tell them to do this. It is questionable whether priests were accustomed to receiving healed lepers. I mean, how often did that happen? So the injunction itself was likely given in anticipation of recognizing the coming of the Messiah. So imagine it. You're a temple priest, right? You're going about your priestly duties. You're aware of that part of the Torah that says, show yourselves to the priest if you're healed. But you're going about your daily tasks. And up comes not one, but ten lepers who have been cleansed from leprosy. And they all share the same testimony. Well, it's the shock to the priests, I think, that is, that's what Jesus is going for. It should indicate the arrival of the Messiah, but interesting as that is, I'm more curious about the nationality of the lepers. Later in verse 16, we're told that the leper who returns to give Jesus thanks was a Samaritan. You may know this, but Samaritans came from the northern kingdom, which meant they had had to set up their own temple and their own priesthood, their own sort of religion. And this is why animosity had existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. If you recall the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the, the Samaritan woman at the well, it kind of shows what that's going on there. But Jesus tells the Samaritan to show himself to the priests. This is interesting. Which priests would he go to? Would he obey the Torah, or would he head back to Samaria to his own priests? The point that I'm getting at is that for this Samaritan leper, 
The mercy he received was not dependent upon his relationship to the temple, but on his relationship to his healer. And this is the very same lesson that we learned in the story of Ruth this morning. She was a Gentile, but her redemption, in the metaphorical sense, depended on her relationship to her kinsman redeemer, who we know later in the book of Ruth is Boaz. And that relationship changed her status. It changed her entire identity and her entire survival. So here, this Samaritan leper, who could have expected to be left out of that healing because he was Samaritan, talk about the low of the low of the low, a Samaritan leper. Through this experience, he discovers that his status, his identity, and his survival has completely changed. But unlike his Jewish counterparts, he is compelled to turn around and give thanks to his healer. So to recap here, Jesus, our eternal redeemer, is on his way to be crucified for those who are near the Jews, who are near, that is the Jews, and for those who are far off, the Gentiles. And he's opposed by those who should praise him and praised by those who should oppose him. Our passage ends with Jesus telling the Samaritan leper leper, that his faith has made him well. Wait a minute. Weren't there all ten lepers? Weren't all of them healed? Well, that's the point. Apparently, being made well is a bit different than being healed from leprosy. We have two kinds of healing here. One kind, a healing from leprosy, comes at Jesus' command. But the other kind requires faith and results in praise. Brothers and sisters, I have no idea what ailments you face this morning. And many of them will be illnesses and disease, physical pain, some kind of discomfort. And perhaps Jesus will speak the word and you will be healed. Perhaps he won't. For all those that Jesus healed during his earthly ministry, we get no indication that he healed everyone. But every single one of us have a lifetime of wandering around the great corn maze of life, right? And we've developed unhealthy responses to our suffering. God must really not care. Doctors and medicine, they're really our only hope. If my spouse would just listen to me, more money, that'll fix the problem. Nobody loves me. I'm worthless. Whatever those thoughts are, however you have allowed the enemy to wire your brain, we all need that second kind of healing. That kind that requires faith and results in praise. So this morning, 
if you feel you are crying for mercy from a distance like these lepers were, the first question to ask is if you have cried out to Jesus. If you have never cried out to Jesus, do so right now. It takes faith to do such things. You may or may not receive the healing that these lepers received, but the promise is that the faith in the Messiah will make you well in deeper and more significant ways. You will find stalks of corn blocking those despairing thoughts and new paths to wider vistas of hope. But, Perhaps you have cried out to Jesus, and this morning you see no vista of hope. Well, let me remind you that I am a man prone to anxiety, depression, and addiction myself. And so this is a problem I'm well familiar with. I'd like to tell you to simply make an appointment with Father Daniel at O'Henry's in Homewood and ask him to pray for you. It's actually not a bad idea. But just in case Father Daniel's schedule is not infinite, I have another suggestion. Go home today. Find a quiet place to sit. If you can stand the heat down here all the way in the south, maybe you can find a park or the botanical gardens to go to. I miss those. Calm yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you where you once were. To remind you of the dust from which He has already lifted you. The ashes from which He has already delivered you. Think of all the princes whom He has seated you by. You can start with the people in this room. Think of the home He has set you in, the children He has given you. In other words, ask the Lord to show you how much you have already been healed. I know it can be hopeless at times, especially if we've nourished those pathways of despair in our minds. But I want to remind you that you no longer call for mercy from a distance. But you are now at the feet of the Savior. He has never left you. Let the memory of your forgiveness and salvation overflow with gratitude today. And turn around to face Jesus once again and praise God with a loud voice. This is the faith that has already made you well. You don't need more of it, brothers and sisters. You already have enough. Remember about the mustard seed? I'm just telling you what you already know. He is the healer of your soul. So from our Psalm 113 this morning, the first verse, remember these words. Repeat them throughout the day. Praise the Lord. Sing praises, you servants of the Lord. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of healing that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, though we suffer in this world, we are reminded of your suffering in this world. And you did not complain, but you set your face toward Jerusalem, toward your cross. And it was the joy that was set before you, not that the cross itself, but the resurrection, the ascension, all that you have bought and purchased on the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would set that joy before us this morning. We pray that those hearts that have never cried out to you for mercy today would do so, that new life would spring up in our very midst. Those who have received new life and are in need of perseverance and of encouragement, we pray that your Holy Spirit would remind each of us of the healing we've already received. And though our wounds may still fester throughout this life, fill us with all hope that we might, in the midst of suffering, that we might praise you and glorify your name. And we pray this in, the son, in your Son's name. Amen.